Hello, my name is Soren Mortensen, and I'm a director of Global Financial Markets Transformation at IBM and the facilitator of this webinar on the impact of CDBC on commercial banks. Today with me, I have two esteemed guests, Keith Baer, who is a fellow at the Center for Alternative Finance at the University of Cambridge, and Mark Williamson, who is a managing director and global head of FX partnerships and propositions at HSBC. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Now let's begin. The development of distributed ledger technologies and the rise of cryptocurrencies in the last decade has demonstrated that new technologies can disrupt well-established century-old concepts such as fiat currencies and physical money. Central banks around the world are actively conducting central bank digital currency experiments with support from IBM and other fintechs to assess the potential of this new technology in the evolution of their currencies. Whilst many central banks see the merit in developing CDBCs to support monetary policy, sovereignty, and distribution of money, they need the commercial banks to deliver on those objectives. But what's in it for the commercial banks? Or in other words, how can commercial banks build opportunities to address this coming disruption and address the challenges to come that comes with it? And that is what we're going to explore today. So to start with you, Keith, is the design and introduction of digital currency a policy question or a technology one? Uh, thank you, Soren, and thank you for inviting me to this uh, podcast. Um, I think it's both a policy and a technology issue, but uh, I sit on the Bank of England CBDC Technology Forum, and the point I frequently made there is that we really are very dependent on the policy decisions to be made before we can start looking at appropriate technology solutions. So, for example, uh, there's a complete spectrum of uh, requirements, possible requirements around a retail CBDC from financial inclusion, for example, where we have approximately one and a half million unbanked people here in the UK and around seven million that are at risk of financial exclusion, all the way through to the other end of the spectrum of being able to support a future digital economy uh, and all of the implications that might have for a public form of digital money. Um, so understanding exactly what kind of problem we're trying to solve for, uh, to what extent we want uh, something in the CBC to look uh, really cash-like, to what extent we want to implement what forms of privacy, uh, to what extent we want to implement the ability to have offline payments. And critically, especially, I think, with the point uh, of this uh, discussion as far as uh, commercial bank upside is concerned, uh, that of programmability. Because programmability, I think, allows uh, significant opportunity for commercial banks to innovate on top of the uh, CBDC platform that a uh, central bank provides, such as the Bank of England. Thank you, Keith. Um, Mark, taking into consideration what Keith has just said, what what do you think commercial banks need to do in order to prepare for when either wholesale or retail CDBC uh, are being rolled out globally? Well, firstly, thank you, Soren, for inviting me to this event. Really looking forward to this uh, conversation that we're going to have today. So I think there's a, a number of different aspects. Firstly, if we look at uh, the amount of central banks that are uh, actively researching or experimenting with uh, central bank digital currencies today. It's a lot of different uh, countries across the globe. I think it's about 80% or more. And when you're a bank like HSBC, a commercial bank like HSBC, we're connected to 64 of those banks across the globe. And for each one of those banks, we've got to be considerate and thoughtful 
around how do we uh, firstly learn about it, how do we help in the, the research and also experimentation of the central bank digital currencies. And then we need to think about well, what is the, the challenge that we're trying to solve? So how do we solve the CBDC Rubik's Cube? And what I mean by that is how do we look at how do we implement wholesale, retail, token-based, account-based, domestic and cross-border? Because we, we're going to have to solve for that Rubik's Cube 64 times as we connect into each one of the central banks as if and when they go live with uh, central bank digital currencies. Then secondly, I think it's all, always worthwhile, certainly in these sorts of discussions, to think about what, how, how does CBDC or what does CBDC look like in the future and, and what does it look like today? So at the moment, our commercial banking clients, when they go to an ATM, they put in their PIN number, uh, they see uh, an, a balance on the, on the screen, and that is commercial bank money. It's only when they take out a physical note that they're aware that that may be central bank money in the future. And that's that's how our customers look at, uh, at M0 and M1 today. And so we need to also put it into perspective of how much of that uh, central bank money is in circulation uh, currently. And at the moment, it's about 15 to 20% of commercial or CBDC that would be in circulation and equivalent to what we're trying to solve for. And finally, I think the other point which is, is worthwhile uh, talking through is the transition to and from where we are today into the digital future. Because that, that transition phase is going to be have to have to be carefully managed and it's going to be a big challenge for commercial banks to think about what that means from a risk perspective, from a payments per perspective, from an operations perspective, and how we maintain great services to our clients. Thank you, Mark. Keith, any comments to that? No, I agree very much with what uh, Mark said. Okay. So uh, sticking with you, Keith, um, central banks are limited in their ability to offer financial services. So the introduction of consumer ready or retail CDBC uh, will require some form of public private uh, uh, partnership. Um, does this threaten the uh, monetary sovereignty of, of uh, central banks in your mind? Uh, not to my mind. I mean, obviously, uh, there were earlier threats to uh, sovereignty of central banks, uh, in particular with stablecoins. Uh, so when uh, Facebook, as it was at the time, launched Libra stroke uh, um, DM, uh, that obviously was seen as a potential risk, especially for those central banks which had a less strong currency and may have led to uh, uh, you know, significant challenges as far as sovereignty and uh, monetary policy is concerned in those institutions. But these days, uh, since we, you know, that experiment has failed, obviously, um, in terms of how a CBDC is expected to be implemented, typically that will follow a, a two-tier model, as you've kind of touched on or implied already, uh, where the commercial banks will act as uh, distributors, in effect, of the central bank digital currency, which will be a liability on the central bank, but distributed by uh, the commercial banks. So, um, you know, the commercial banking relationship with what uh, CBDC deployment is, is pretty critical to the success. And there's a, a significant need for a balance between the utility of a CBDC, how attractive is it, what use cases does it facilitate, uh, you know, does interest paid in it, et cetera, et cetera, uh, versus the risk of disintermediation of central banks, because the last thing I think anybody would want, least of all commercial banks, is to have a significant outflow of um, uh, funds from commercial bank money into uh, CBDC, which is, of course, central bank money. Uh, so having that balance right is one of the critical design points, going back to my earlier comments on, on policy. 
Uh, and we shouldn't forget, I think, the the position that stable coins play in parallel, uh, obviously subject to whatever regulatory uh, challenges or, or implementations come that affect stable coins. But that's the other uh, kind of element, I think, which will have an impact as far as adoption is concerned. From a Cambridge point of view, we have a research program running with uh, multiple public and private institutions. And one of our focal points is to uh, develop a digital money dashboard where we'll uh, be able to plot uh, and make publicly available uh, the deployment of uh, various types of stable coins, how they're being used, where they're being used, uh, etc., and be able to compare and contrast that with the ongoing deployment of retail CBDC just to be able to increase the understanding and uh, appreciation and more transparency in terms of the, the broader digital money uh, evolution that we're expecting to see over the next few years. When looking at uh, especially retail uh, CDBC, as, as uh, I've alluded to and, and you uh, reinforced, there is, uh, the central banks need the commercial banks uh, 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 to basically make a retail CDBC uh, successful. Now, retail uh, uh, commercial banks are not going to do this uh, without something, uh, without uh, this adding benefit to them. Um, and you just mentioned, for example, stable coins, uh, uh, certain uh, commercial banks are issuing their own uh, stable coins. So, Keith, what do you see as the potential uh, opportunity or possible opportunities that a retail CDBC may represent for, for commercial banks that will reinforce the adoption of this retail CDBC? Okay. Uh, I mean, I've mentioned programmability, and I think that's uh, one of the key elements. So if a central bank, such as the Bank of England, makes a CBDC available, and if the policy decisions are such that uh, programmability is offered and that the commercial banks are able uh, to start innovating on top of that CBDC platform, then that's where I think there could be significant uh, commercial advantage for the commercial banking sector. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to be asked by Barclays to be a judge on a hackathon for their, the, the Barclays CBDC hackathon that took place earlier this year. We had nine institutions, including Lloyd's, uh, MasterCard, uh, and quite a few fintechs and IBM as well, uh, competing uh, to um, work through. Basically, what Barclays did was build a, a version of the Bank of England's platform model for CBDC, for accessible through an API, uh, and then defined a set of use cases from relatively simple ones just to load uh, funds into a CBDC wallet to much more complex ones, which were really exploiting the potential around programmability. And really that means that uh, you know new ideas that commercial banks can develop in terms of how they can tie in external rules, external events uh, with payments and other activities concerning a CBDC facilitated by the programmability that hopefully we'll see as part of that. And that really gives a significant platform for innovation. I mean, that innovation will apply obviously to the traditional main commercial banks such as HSBC and others, uh, but also to the uh, more neo banks as well. So understanding how that innovation will happen, I think, is super interesting. And we had some really interesting examples of that in the hackathon, being able to tie CBDC payments into events associated with supply chain activities, for instance. So I think there's a huge potential around public mobility, which is why the policy decisions on how that's implemented, how it's made available uh, from the central bank is a really important policy question uh, to be made as part of a CBDC implementation. 
Just as a quick follow-on, can you give some more concrete examples of uh, what uh, the use cases for programmability? Uh, I mean, there are uh, many. I mean, I'm not suggesting this is the uh, one which may have fringed a little bit on privacy, but, you, you know, your your kids, for example, you may, you may be a bit old for this now, but you may want to give them money in a CBDC wallet, but uh, refrain them from uh, buying alcohol or cigarettes or whatever it may be. Uh, so having parental controls, for example, uh, in terms of how a CBDC wallet may be one. Uh, the whole uh, trade finance kind of area, being able to, because we're talking about commerce, not just about retail in that sense, yeah. so how payments can be automated into what's happening within supply chains as well. And of course, tax, being able to, rather than uh, report on tax post the event, uh, being able to uh, take account of tax and take payment for tax at the time of transaction. Real time. Yeah, yeah real time. Okay, thank you. Now, Mark, you and I have worked together on many CDBC projects, um, and most recently we have a white paper out covering the execution of uh, cross-border, cross-network, cross-asset, cross-technology payments uh, using CDBC. Can you please tell us a little bit about this uh, joint work that IBM and uh, HSBC have done together with Bong de Vons? Uh, what were the objectives and what were the outcomes of that? Sure, happy to. I think just before we move on to that, just to chime in on, on the, the last question there uh, around what are the uh, possibilities and opportunities for uh, commercial banks around retail CBDC. I think, again, it, it goes back into implementation and, and what the use cases are. So finding the right use cases for distribution of retail CBDC is going to be important. And then going into or providing a segue into uh, the the experiment that we went through, the important building block for CBDC implementation is getting the wholesale CBDC right and making sure that that strong foundation between central and commercial banks is, is prevalent and that we're able to build upon that strong link between uh, central and commercial banks. Because if you look at the implementation across the, the, the globe and where some of the banks are starting is to ensure that that first link in the chain for distribution out to our retail clients is, is there and is, is strong. So if we look at the, the Banque de France uh, CBDC experiments and, and there'll be a, a link in that will provide uh, post this um, uh, this uh, events where, where you're able to go to uh, a website and download the paper so you, you'll be able to see the white paper that's been published for the experiment that we did and and the objective here is very much how do we solve that Rubik's cube that I talked about before so the experiment that we undertook with uh, with Banque de France was looking at a euro CBDC bond issuance from uh, Banque de France uh, that we then uh, brought and stored in our digital vault. Once we stored that in our digital vault, we then uh, sold that to our, our clients in the secondary market, and uh, then we rolled forward the experiment one day. On the, on the second day, we received a coupon payment from uh, Banque de France in Euro Central Bank digital currency. And then per our client standard settlement instructions, we did an FX conversion and converted that into a synthetic CBDC and paid that into their bank account. So if you think about that, that is looking at wholesale, retail, uh, domestic, cross-border, token-based and account-based, and, and it ticked all those boxes. But also from a, a markets perspective, we wanted to ensure that we could go across markets. So looking at primary market, secondary market and foreign exchange and looking at how we do that. And of course, technology and the interoperability between the, the different uh, 
forms of technology, whether that's our heritage systems or the new digital systems that we're looking to implement, was really important for us to, to prove out. So in collaboration with IBM, we solved for how do we use IBM Hyperledger and then also connect into R3 Corder using the Weaver protocol. So we're able to move tokens between the two different blockchains in order to, to prove that we could move and interoperate between the two different uh, blockchain technologies. So that was a really important use case for us. As trusted advisors to a lot of the central banks across the globe, that gives us a, a good provenance and how to use the technology, how to look at it front to back and look at the full life cycle of implementation. As I said, that's, uh, that link will be available soon, so you can have a look at the white paper and the, the details behind that. Soren, happy for you to chime in and, and talk about some of the, the use cases or what you were looking to solve for in that uh, particular central bank digital currency experiment. Yeah, very quickly. I mean, from my perspective, uh, uh, it was looking at how we could uh, uh, demonstrate interoperability between networks between technologies, so uh, you mentioned uh, 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 Hyperledger and R3, but we are also uh, using the same technology to to um, to uh, uh, interoperate with more traditional uh, with networks built on more traditional uh, technologies. Um, so it was cross network, cross net, uh, 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 technologies, uh, doing uh, uh, cross time zone, uh, 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 basically showing that the central bank uh, can still keep an oversight of their CDBC in motion across all of this. And uh, uh, you can interoperate between multiple networks that might be using this uh, uh, this uh, digital currency. And that to me is the real value of uh, uh, that experiment. And we'll see more and more experiments along uh, that interoperability, uh, cross-border payments uh, using CDBC uh, and certainly our platform uh, that we have built uh, uh, is fit for that. Um, following on from that very quickly, um, Mark, uh, as more stores of value and, and payments become digital, um, what role do you see uh, uh, a CDBC could play in uh, mentioned cross-border payments, but more in the supply chain and bond issuance uh, where uh, dig digital payments are, are, are growing? Yeah, I think there, there is a role and we're starting to see uh, some implementations within or thoughts around implementations in Asia around the, the Enbridge project, but also if you're looking at China and how they're, they're using it, um, it's looking at how do you distribute government monies uh, and how do you uh, issue or how do you facilitate payments more quickly into supply chains and, and trade? So good examples there is if uh, a government is looking to uh, build some flats or buildings that they pay the the builders in CBDC and then that proliferates throughout the uh, the supply chain. So we're seeing examples such as that coming in, into life. Um, and as Keith said before, looking at uh, government payments, so whether that's welfare payments, whether that's looking at 
uh, a one-off COVID payment into into the population uh, as as a good use case of how CBDCs can play a role in, in broader um, issuance of uh, CBDCs into the population. And then, as as discussed with the the Banque de France example, looking at how do you help facilitate bond issuance more smoothly and using this new technology to have a full audit trail and make sure that you can tie up delivery versus payments and having that bond and that payment linked through smart contracts and the programmability. And ultimately that helps uh, commercial banks and also our clients in better managing the intraday liquidity between central and commercial banks, which is also important when we're looking to make onward payments into our clients. So I think there's lots of opportunities there, uh, but we are at the very beginning of this. So excited to see how this uh, proliferates over time. Absolutely. Uh, Keith, um, we've been talking about digitalization uh, of banking services and, and so forth. How are other technologies like AI or hybrid cloud uh, what role do they play in the adoption of a CDBC? Uh, good question. Uh, as far as AI is concerned, I think from the top of my head, uh, the, the initial role may be around what we were talking about earlier in terms of programmability. So again, I think it might be an interesting example, either from a retail or a commercial perspective to understand how machine learning, for instance, other types of AI could really uh, help complement payments and other flows that take place being initiated through the programmability of a CBDC. And as far as hybrid cloud is concerned, I think that in part probably depends on uh, the technology decisions taken by a central bank as far as implementation is concerned. Uh, I, is it going to be implemented on a, a largely centralized basis, in which case there could be an on-premise based implementation, obviously, uh, or will it be decentralized, which probably increases the case for uh, a hybrid cloud-based solution. So I think it depends very much on the uh, technology solutions that are, are being taken, and in particular, whether DLT is being used in some form or not. Coming back to, uh, to you, Mark, what forms of regulation, if any, uh, do you see will be needed for an introduction of a CDBC, whether that's wholesale or retail? Yeah, I think there, there will need to be regulation and law passed before the CBDCs can go into circulation. And that's been made very clear from a lot of uh, central banks across the globe. And also a, a big topic of discussion between uh, BIS and, and many other parties, looking at how do we switch gears and, and how do we get into uh, central bank uh, digital currencies to be distributed globally, I think it's going to be a, a big challenge for, for the industry to consider and, and think about how are we going to do that consistently and globally, because I think that's going to be the other big challenge in, in how we uh, aim to have the successful introduction of CBDCs, that consistency and level uh, playing field. And also to to call out that it's not only going to be um, commercial banks that are going to be participating in that rollout, there's going to be fintechs and partners that we, we're going to have to rely on in order to, to get this out. So making sure, again, that there is a level playing field, that everyone who is participating in the distribution of central bank digital currencies is adhering to the same rules and regulations that commercial banks do. Um, we're getting close to uh, uh, the end of this webinar. So uh, Keith, first, would you, Keith, any concluding comments? Yeah, uh, two real comments, I think, from my point of view. Uh, one is that as we think about how a CBDC may be designed, uh, we really have to take account of what the future state is going to be. In the UK, you know, the position from the Bank of England is that this may be in the second half of the decade, you know, three to five years away. Um, and if that's the case, we need to have a view in terms of what the future financial environment and the economy will look like, to what extent 
for example, DeFi has propagated to what extent the metaverse has developed and make sure that uh, the utility of a CBDC is fit for purpose for that future state rather than what we focus on today. And <clears throat> the second point I'd make really is the need, I think, for more experimentation PSVs. We've obviously talked about the IBM, HSBC, Bank de France experiments, the Bank of England here in the UK have Project Rosalind, for example, going on looking at the uh, API prototyping around a retail CBDC uh, and the very recent uh, RFP that's been issued for uh, provisional wallets for a CBDC as well. So, And obviously, Digital Euro has been doing very similar with some of the major e-commerce companies. So being able to experiment and learn uh, and investing in those exercises in parallel to the research uh, for that future state vision, I think, is critical. Thank you, Keith. And uh, Mark, closing comments? Closing comments. I would echo what uh, Keith said. I think, you know, we, we need to do further experiments, but I think also it's not a, a new topic. We've been looking at this topic since 2017, or at least HSBC has, and uh, we're, we're looking at how do we get to that next stage and how do we thoughtfully get to that next stage uh, across the globe. So global consistency is important. I agree that the, the landscape moving forward is going to be very different to what we have today. And what that means in short is that there's a potential fragmentation of liquidity. And so having more digital wallets, more uh, stores of value and payments in the, in the marketplace uh, will all need to funnel down through into commercial banks and central banks uh, in order for settlement finality, in order for, for payments to be made onwards into supply chains. So that transition period that I discussed before, I think is going to be really important and needs to be carefully managed because otherwise it could be very cost prohibitive for ex for rollout of CBDCs externally. So we need to be thoughtful. How do we pull together as an industry in order to achieve that objective? Thank you, Mark. I'm going to uh, answer very quickly one audience question, which is uh, in the IBM HSBC BDF project, what was the core CDBC ledger bill done? DLT or non-DLT. Uh, it was a network, uh, the, uh, the uh, Banque de France network is built on, on the Hyperledger fabric, but as we have interoperability to other DLT networks and non-DLT no networks using the IBM uh, Weaver technology, now branded Citrus, um, we are somewhat technology independent. Um, so this is the end of the webinar. Um, first, I would like to thank Keith and Mark for your valuable uh, insights today. I've enjoyed this, and I hope the audience uh, have as well. Um, I would also like to thank uh, the audience for attending this webinar, and we will follow up with your questions uh, following this live event. So rem remains to for me to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah.